stress occurs when we don't eat, move, and think in ways that are congruent for our species. Mm. So somehow we've, we've removed ourselves from the animal kingdom. We don't think we're really an animal just like mm-hmm. every other animal. Uh-huh. And we feed kids food that we would never give our dogs. Right. Well, I hear it all the time. Like, no, 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 Timmy, don't give that soda and chips to the dog. That'll make him <laughs> sick. That's for you and your friends. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. To the point that we can giggle about that. But it's, it's really this mindset that we're really not part of the animal kingdom. Mm. Hey, everybody. John Chisholm here. Welcome to the All the Best podcast. It's my own special blend of motivation and devotion designed to help you find all the best in life. I just believe there's always a way to make your life better. I want to help you get there. Nothing's going to be off limits in this show. We're going to talk to amazing people from all kinds of backgrounds, beliefs, and points of view. We're going to be bringing you insights, advice, and inspiration to guide you into the coolest chapters of your life and maybe help you actually enjoy your time here on planet Earth. So buckle up, kids. This is going to be fun. Hey, everybody, and welcome to All the Best, where we meet up at the intersections of faith, spirituality, motivation, and health and wellness. Well, in today's show, we're going to be hitting on all cylinders as I bring you a dear friend here in the Nashville area, Dr. Ben Sweeney. Dr. Ben is a chiropractor and purveyor of all things health and wellness through Sweeney Health Centers. Well, you know, it'd be easy to look at Dr. Ben and assume that he's just breezed his way through life with his athleticism, his charming smile and rugged good looks, but you'd be wrong about that. Behind the successful exterior and charm, He's harbored a lot of undealt with pain that threatened to destroy him in his practice and even those he loved. But a moment of intervention from his wife broke the trance, and Ben is now four years sober from a debilitating opioid addiction that was broken by a 94-day inpatient treatment program in which he was isolated from his wife, his family, and his thriving chiropractic practice. He shares very openly in this episode about how it all started with trying just one half of one little blue pill that took him down an eight-year spiral of secrecy and addiction, and all while he was helping others beat their own addictions live a healthier lifestyle. But during treatment, Ben began to deal with childhood sexual trauma and other tragic memories that had kept him internally isolated despite success in business and a loving family. Now hosting his own podcast called Recovering Wellness, Ben has found a true spiritual calling to help others find the recovery and the sobriety that they need to live a beautiful, healthy life. We talk about his faith and how it has helped Ben through the rigors of recovery and how sharing his story openly is an important piece of staying well. You know, the statistics tell us that 80 to 90% of all the people on this planet are addicted to something that's harming them or the people around them. And that tells me that most of you listening wrestle with something big or small that's probably stealing your joy, your health, and maybe even threatening your very life. Well, I know that you're going to find hope and get started on your own healing journey as you hear a real story of recovery and hope in this episode. So grab a soft drink or some herbal tea and join me for the next half hour or so to get to know a great husband, dad, wellness advocate, and my new best friend, Dr. Ben Sweeney. 
Well, Dr. Ben Sweeney, my friend, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be in your space. Mm -hmm. You know, it's. Do you have a name for your little pod? The Wellness Hallway. The Wellness Hallway. It is literally a hallway. I love it. I love oh. it. Well, it doesn't look very traveled right now with all of your podcast gear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's unique. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, how long have you been a chiropractor? Chiropractor since two thousand four. I guess so. So a minute. 18 years, almost 18 wow. years. Yeah, man. Wow. What got you there? I think it's such an interesting profession uh -huh. because it's so hands on. You're dealing with people's bodies. And I mean, you know, everybody's got their clothes on, but it's still pretty darn intimate, yes, you know, where you're sure. poking and prodding and yeah, all that. We've, we've been doing chiropractic for a long time, and I understand it's pretty hands on. Very hands on. And I didn't envision this. You know, when I was a kid and wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to be Superman. And I wanted to be a doctor. That of course. Was kind of yeah, yeah. Things. And uh, I thought it was a real doctor, you know, white lab coat, stethoscope and prescription pad. But, you know, when I did my internship during pre the pre-med program, I worked in the hospital <clears throat> and it was just a very uncomfortable setting for me. I just did not like mm -hmm. the sick people. A lot of people were smoking on the way in. And it was very apparent that most people were not there because of bad luck or bad germs or bad genes, they were mainly there because of poor lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to be a doctor that could address that root issue of why people are so sick, mm. why their diets are so out of whack and why people's, why their obesity and diabetes and cancer and heart disease and all the lifestyle diseases that we deal with are, are mainly a lot of our own choices that yeah. we use there. Now, had you lived a pretty healthy lifestyle? I mean, you're an athlete. Right. Yes, and yes. So, Played small college basketball. Yeah, my, yeah. My jersey is not retired or hanging from the rafters, <laughs> but I was, I was in the, I was in the program. What position did you play? I was a three or a four man, okay. which is kind of like a forward. Yeah. And then our center got hurt. And I had to play center, so wow. that was not a good experience. <laughs> but you've got the height. You've got the physical height yeah. for it. So now it's all about acumen and footwork. Right? That's right. And my white boy jumping skills. Yeah. Which is not good either. So. Uh, but yeah, so I was athletic. I was always interested in fitness. I actually ran a health club for a little bit, which was certainly not going to be my future. But yeah, always interested in diet and exercise and nutrition and performance and um, I think that's part of what led me toward chiropractic because it does encompass a lot of those aspects. A lot of people think chiropractic is kind of voodoo. Hokey. You know, hokey. Oh, yeah. Quackery. You, you get addicted to it. <laughs> and once you start, man, you can't stop because <laughs> you... Well, that's the secret, John. You're not supposed to say that on, on <laughs> It's kind of like psychiatry. Exactly. <laughs> Going to counseling. That's it. You get hooked in. Yep. And we have a lot of people that use chiropractic, you know, for acute case, stiff necks, headaches, back pain. And then we have a lot of other people because we're working with the nervous system. They find that, you know, if I get adjusted regularly, I don't, I sleep better. I have more energy. I don't get sick mm -hmm. as often. My body just functions better because my nervous system runs with less interference. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's a whole science and, and, oh, of course. you know, I mean, it's, it's not quackery. Well, they called me Doubting Thomas in chiropractic school. That was my nickname. Really? Because I questioned everything. Like, how can mm. you prove that that x-ray is affecting that person's bladder? And how can you prove that that x-ray is causing their neck pain or their migraines? And I was just right. very skeptical going in. So. But you were there to learn and you were open enough to to figure out there's something to this. Yeah. And there was that God's voice kind of saying, just, just hang in there, just, just get out of the way and, mm -hmm. and I'll take care of it. I just remember that, that nudge. So what was it like the first time you took someone's head in your hands and went, 
Well, probably the girlfriend, the girl I was dating during chiropractic school, I'm not sure if she's she now a quadriplegic. She's probably <laughs> in a wheelchair, I would imagine. Yeah, it was a little frightening. It's I think. not funny, but it kind of is. <laughs> Hope she's not listening. Yeah, but yeah the first 10,000 people were probably, you know, you just don't really know what you're doing until you get your hands on people. Wow. So it just, it's just time and time and repetition. Wow. But we do pay, I pay more for car insurance than malpractice insurance Let's on see. one car. Wow. So it's not dangerous like a lot of people in the public think. I can't speak for every chiropractor, but we do yeah. x-rays and we try to do all the screening that we can and make sure what we do is safe and effective. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it would have to be scary. Yes. You know, to manipulate someone's neck <laughs> like that. And we've all seen those movies where someone has that done and they're dead. Like yeah. Immediately, right? <laughs> that's, we always say that's Hollywood. That's not Brentwood. That's, that doesn't happen. Rarely. It only happens like once a week. That we okay. Well, so. Now, you've actually adjusted me many times, many times at this point because we've been dealing Still with alive. trying to correct something. Mm -hmm. But do you develop a sensitivity to your patient's physiology? Oh, sure. Yeah, over time, you know, I begin to rely a little less off of the x-rays once you kind of mm -hmm. get to know someone. And it's more of, I mean, in some ways you can almost sense walking in the room what's going on with that particular person. If I've gotten out of my own way, if I'm not in my own, in my own head, so to speak, then I can tune in pretty well to what's going on with people without. And do you think there's a spiritual element uh, to this at all? 100%. Take us into that. What does that really mean? Yeah, that's, so there's three primary stressors and, and the spine will lock into a defensive position under those three, an overload of any of those three stressors. So the spine works a lot like, kind of like the fuse box in your house. So when the stress overrides the system in the house, we'll tend to blow a fuse to protect the house as a whole. One area will give under the stress. Well, that's sort of what the vertebrae do is they misalign to kind of protect the whole. And we always give at the weakest link. Mm -hmm. So the stressors, because in 20 years, I've never heard anyone say, I hold all my stress in my pinky. Like every time I get stressed, it's always <laughs> my pinky. It's always their neck or their back where they mm. hold their stress. Um, so the three stressors are physical stress, which is like accidents and trauma and sports injuries. But then you also have micro trauma, which is poor posture and staring at our phones and repetitive motion things. And then we have our chemical stressors, which are bad food, bad air, drugs, those kind of things. And then you have your spiritual, emotional, uh, mental stressors, which all mm. kind of fall in one bucket. Mm. So all of those stressors are what our nervous system has to deal with and process. And when it's too much for the system to bear, that's when the spine essentially blows out, so to speak. Is that a subluxation? Subluxation. You even hey, properly. come on now. Hey, man. Tell ya. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you said it perfectly. That was great. Yeah, it's, it's a vertebral subluxation. So sub means less than and luxation means dislocation. Well, my so, dog had, she's passed now. Love you, Emma. But she had inter, oh man, I had it in my head. Intervertebral. No, is that right? Intervertebral. Mm -hmm. Inter, okay. It's yep. yeah, intervertebral yeah. disc disease. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Poor thing. Her mom had it too, Lucy and... Yeah. Miss those dogs. I was so proud of myself for learning intervertebral. <laughs> and you said it right. I know, right? And then, yeah, so that's basically when the spine is locked out of position for time, it'll wear down the disc. Mm. So there's a hereditary component. I think there's some piece that sort of runs generationally, but a lot of it is just due to the trauma and the stress that we're under. And what's a, what's a bulging disc? What is so that? A bulging disc is where it's kind of like having a jelly donut between two hands, sort of like you have your hands and you have a jelly donut between them. 
if you move the hands out of alignment, then the jelly will kind of squish toward one side. Oh, okay. So it's like a, a bulging or a, the outer annular fibers get pushed by the, the inner nucleus of the disc. Wow. Very painful. And we do see that all the time. It doesn't sound fun. And is that something you fix with chiropractic or is that something that If just... it's not too far gone, yeah. you know, where it, if it's, if the disc material has, has broken free of the disc and it's out into the spinal canal, mm. then that's out of our scope. And we, you know, we do a surgical referral or neuro, neurological referral at that point. So the spine itself is like the backbone. Spine is the lifeline. <laughs> that's always what we So we have all these nerves uh -huh. that are extending out to the different organs of the body Correct. and it's sending electrical signals. And if those things get clamped off yep. or irritated or yep. inflamed, mm -hmm. right? So then we wind up feeling discomfort in our body somehow. Correct. Right. And does gut health have to do with that? And you talked about the stressors sure. and, and I want to go back to some of those, but I mean, it's kind of all just all up in there together. Yeah. It's also interconnected. And that's one of the the downsides to the current medical system is if you have a stomach problem, you go to a GI doctor. If you have a knee problem, you go to an orthopedist. If you have a kidney problem, you go to a nephrologist. And so we've kind of compartmentalized the body into all these individual pieces, which we're all just one functional system that runs through the coordination of the nervous system. Mm. So yeah, we do a lot with gut and gut repair and detox and, and healing the gut and, and reducing gut inflammation. And then we also try to make the nerves, keep, make sure that the nerves that are controlling the, the organs are also working well as, so we kind of hit it from both angles. Is that revolutionary these days to think about the, the unity, the wholeness of the human body and how it has been so compartmentalized and broken out, but to hear a chiropractor who you think about adjusting your neck or your mm -hmm. back or whatever, talk about gut health. Is that new in this Sadly, world? It, it's yes and no. So it's new since this revolution of drug-based petrochemical therapies, mm -hmm. where you take a drug if you have this system symptom and you take a drug for another symptom. That, that's roughly, what, 200 years old, 150, 200 years old. But actual treating the body as a whole system has been around since the ancient Egyptians. Oh, in Chinese medicine. If you look and, at Hippocrates, yeah. the father of modern medicine, he was actually a spinal manipulator, a nutritionist, and an herbalist. So he was essentially a wellness chiropractor because there were no right. drugs, there were no right. effective surgeries in those days. So the father of modern medicine is essentially a wellness chiropractor. Wow. So... That's really cool. I mean, I think that one of the things that I've, I'm learning more and more to do uh, is to think more holistically mm -hmm. about my life, my body. You, you mentioned stress, mm -hmm. and I know that stress is like the number one factor in every illness, right? For sure. And stress occurs when we don't eat, move, and think in ways that are congruent for our species. So somehow we've, we've removed ourselves from the animal kingdom. We don't think we're really an animal just like mm -hmm. every other animal. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that poster you'd see where the, 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 the dogs are playing cards, smoking cigarettes, playing yeah. poker. Yeah. And you know, the, it's like, how ridiculous is that for a dog to smoke a cigar and sit in that horrible carpet and, and drink alcohol, which for humans, we think that's perfectly normal. And we feed kids food that we would never give our dogs. Right. Well, I hear it all the time. Like, no, 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 Timmy, don't give that soda and chips to the dog. That'll make him <laughs> sick. That's for you and your friends. Exactly. Right? Yeah. To the point that we can giggle about that. But it's, it's really this mindset that we're really not part of the animal kingdom. Mm. If we took a monkey from the jungle, 
we put him in Franklin and we gave him a desk job and donuts for breakfast and pizza for lunch and no exercise and Netflix, what would happen to the health of that mm -hmm. animal? Mm -hmm. Would he get healthier or sicker? Mm. I mean, a hundred times out of a hundred, he'd get sicker. Now, what would the solution be to give him the right antidepressants or maybe cut out a few organs or maybe, you know, put him on certain pain medication, or would it be to get him back to the way he's designed? So, wow. That's really the concept. Wow. What do you say to that? Like, that's what we're living in mm -hmm. is that, that gross misappropriation of our body. Sure. Yeah. And in the current. Medi and the medical system is amazing. I don't want to spend time just bashing the medical sure, system sure. because my sister's a type one diabetic. So if she didn't have her insulin and her, her needles, like I wouldn't mm -hmm. have a sister, mm -hmm. right? So for crisis and emergencies, that system is amazing, but that's not what most people die from. Most people die from lifestyle degenerative conditions that we bioaccumulate the effects of poor lifestyle choices. And then it finally catches up with us. Mm -hmm. So we can't take a pill to fix a lifestyle problem. Wow. Have you looked into, I'm kind of deep into this right now, but more energy healing and just the electrical, like we've talked about Chinese medicine and the the electrical system in our bodies. Do you, have you looked sure, at that much? Some, I'm not a certified acupuncturist and I, you know, I don't have tons of training in that mm -hmm. respect, but there's absolutely a component to medicine and healthcare and recovery of, of health that doesn't come in a pill bottle mm -hmm. and maybe doesn't even come in an adjustment. You know, there's a lot that we can't measure. We can't put in a test tube that massively influences our health. Mm. So, because mindset is a long, I mean, which triggers the stress mm -hmm. in our lives. It's, it's not so much what happens to us, but how we think about what happens to yep. us, right? We can't control the events of our life, yeah. but we can control the meaning that we attach to those events. And it triggers eating, mm -hmm. drinking too much, sure. whatever, yep. you know, that addictive behavior. I know all about that. Yeah? Sure. Well, what, what do you know <laughs> about that? Yeah, so this is kind of getting the, to the vulnerable part of my story. So when I got through chiropractic school, I started a practice, met my wife, beautiful wife. We got married, had my first daughter. Everything was amazing. And then my wife got pregnant the second time and pretty quickly into that pregnancy, my wife's health began to decline. So she became bedridden. We, we lost the pregnancy in the second half of the pregnancy. We mm -hmm. actually lost mm -hmm. our, our daughter. And then my wife was bedridden for the better part of, you know, over two years. Wow. That is she had hard. A, yeah, it was pretty, pretty terrible. Please. And she, she was diagnosed with a condition called POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Big, big $10 medical word for sucks. So it's a uh, chronic fatigue, horrible chronic fatigue. She had migraines, she had digestive issues and depression, anxiety, and just a whole litany of, of, of things. And I remember toward the end of that time period, I'd been given a, a pain pill, a little blue pain pill. And I'd said, no, I don't, I don't like pain pills. The guy said, sure, you can just have it. And I put it away. And then a month or so later, I, I took half of that pain pill. And I remember the way that I felt, it was amazing. Like all the stress, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the depression, it almost immediately just lifted. Mm. And I knew enough about addiction at that time to know that if you have a drug that does that, then you need to be aware because... That's, that's trouble. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, I, I put it away and then came back to it later and, you know, finally got to where I was taking 
I would never take it during the office shift because uh, that would be unethical. So I would take it right before I left the shift. So I would kick in on the way home. And then, you know, eventually that progressed to where I was having to take, you know, 10, 15 of those pills. And these are the strong, like, these are not the ones that grandma takes for her sore knee. Mm. Like, these are the big ones. Mm. And I would take about 10 to 15 of those a day just to keep from getting sick. So that's what sort of led and that was you know roughly a seven or eight year process that it kind of progressed and then by the grace of god and and through my wife's just her being as healthy as she is she finally said enough is enough i know something is wrong and she got me into a treatment center down in murfreesboro mm -hmm. so here i am the picture of health i'm teaching people how to live a drug-free lifestyle we had these two massive five-gallon containers that were in our office that were called the drug freedom trash can, which people could put their meds in when they got off their drugs. And it's kind of a celebration type thing. Yeah. So I'm helping people get off their drugs, but then I'm the one that's, you know, the most on them. Wow. So it was just wow. a very dark period. I was a hypocrite liar and just manipulating and just living in, living in secrecy. Mm. And it almost killed me. How long were you in treatment? 94 days. Supposed to be 90, but I got four days of extra credit. Just kind of how the scheduling worked out. I, I ended up mm. staying for 94 days. Wow. And it was no cell phones. You don't get to see your family. It's, 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 you're, you're, it's intensive seven days a week. You're either doing meetings or study or classroom, or you're doing, you're doing work one-on-one. -on -one. And it was the, the greatest, hardest work that I've mm. ever done by a mile. Was there a particular breakthrough that you felt kind of broke the thing for you it's funny you share it's funny you ask that so about midway through the program they told me to tell my story in front of the group and i told the story of my daughter passing away and i remember the counselor who's who's a, a jedi knight he just he knows me inside and out he said you know if you can't if you can't reattach to the sadness that's in your story then you're never going to get healthy and I said, okay, so I, I need to be sad. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go home and I'm going to work on being sad. So over the weekend, I had to, I went through my story and I was trying to be sad. I was trying to make myself sad. I came back on Monday and I said, you know, Phil, I did my best, but I just don't feel sad about the stuff I went through. I was abused sexually as a child and my mom died of a drug overdose. And like, I just, I, did, I could feel sad if it was my daughter. But for me, I just, you know, I just can't feel sad. And he said, well, then you're never going to get healthy. He said, you know what? You've never been able to attach to anything in your life. Mm. And when he said that, it was like he punched me between the eyes. And I was just flooded with grief because mm. I never grieved over my mom. I never grieved over the, the abuse. I never agreed. We, lo we left my dog when I was 11. We drove away and he was chasing the car as we drove off. And oh, God. he was kind of my only friend at the time. Uh -huh. So, But, you know, be a man. Yeah, Suck yeah, it up. Yeah, Don't yeah. be a wuss. Right? Yeah. That's, boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. No fear. And then I remember when I attached to that story, I just, I cried for about four days straight. I was actually able to attach for the first time by getting into the sadness of my story. And that, that was the turning point. What do you say to that? Like, mm. wow. It's just sad that it took me that to get to that point because I had lived my whole life trying to avoid feelings and emotions. Because I was taught that fear, I, I used to wear those no fear t-shirts. Mm -hmm. Remember those? Yeah. So gross. 
no fear. If you're hurt, that means you're a wimp. You know, sadness means get over it. If you're mm -hmm. lonely, that means you did something wrong. If you're angry, then you, you got a badness, right? Mm. But what I realize is God gives us those feelings and emotions to live a full, amazing life in this crazy, tragic, messed up world. Mm. The problem is when we don't know what to do when we have those feelings. Because babies, when we're born, I noticed this with my son, he's 16 months old. That's about all he has is his feelings. He doesn't have intellect. He can't talk. He can't really, he doesn't have verbal capacity. He has, but he can feel hurt and he can get sad and he'll, he'll howl when he's angry and he'll reach out when he's lonely. But we learn as we get older that those things are bad. Those things are scary. And we need to use our brains to hide what's happening in our heart mm. versus using our brain to articulate what's happening in our heart. So it was the process of being able to know what I was feeling inside and then to be able to articulate that to people that, that can sit with me in it. So you started the Recovering Wellness mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. How does it feel to be coming out about sexual abuse and drug addiction even as a doctor and how does that feel? Yeah, That's terrifying. Scary? Yes, very terrifying. Uh, it's what, very, are you, what are you afraid of the most? I'm less afraid. Uh, maybe I'm more afraid of how it reflects on my family because I'm less afraid of what people think about me because for the first time in my life, and this will kind of tie into this, I remember when I was in practice and I was using drugs, I would have a patient come up and say, Dr. Sweeney, I love you. You're the best. I feel so much better. You're, you're just the greatest. And I would have a smile on my face, but under my breath, I would have contempt for them. Mm. Like, how dare, how dare you affirm? You don't know me. I don't even know me. And the version of me that I know, I don't even like. Mm. So how dare you remind me of who I don't like? Mm. Have a good day. Yeah. You know, that, that was, so I had no sense of identity. I had no, I didn't like who I was. So now on the other side of this, I, you know, I, I'm not great, but I sort of like this version of me. You know, I'm, I'm okay in my own skin. And that was never the case for 40 years. I was just never, never okay in my own skin. So probably the biggest fear with sharing my story is that it somehow blows back on my family. They're okay with it? Well, as far as I know. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's okay with it. Yeah. You know, because it's, you know, it's part of our journey. And mm. If this connects to someone who's struggled with some of these thing, same things and they feel less alone in their struggle, then for me, you know, that's worth it. And the truth is people bond with us more over our failures and weaknesses than our sure. pretty shiny faces and successful clinics and podcasts and all that. But your, your heart now in recovering wellness mm -hmm. is to share your story and to really help people get a handle on their own health, their own lives. Right. And, and, and what, what we found, and these are some of the more recent statistics, is if you look at addiction as anything that we use to hide what's, what we're feeling inside or to medicate what we're feeling inside, that can be drugs, that can be alcohol, that can be video games or pornography or social media or work or achievement or people-pleasing or codependency. Mm. If you look at that wide swath of what addiction can actually be, it's 80, 90% of people are struggling with some form of addiction. So maybe this connects on a broader scale than just opiates or just alcohol or just whatever. Do you think that 
I mean, were you a spiritual person to begin with? And that just got shoved aside. I John three sixteen, and I knew okay. how to hold my hands. And yeah, you know, I knew yeah. I, was, I was a church boy. I was raised okay. in, raised Baptist. Went to Catholic grade school and high school, and went to a Pentecostal college. So, yeah, John, I knew I knew how to put on yeah. a great show. Yeah, okay? yeah. But I was as far from I was Moses on the backside of the desert, mm. just running from God. So, but that's probably the the worst part of the hypocrisy is. I knew better and I, and I knew what people thought of me and I knew that that was a lie. And I knew that, you know, I was just trying to move as far away from God as I possibly could. Mm. So, so getting sober, mm. renewing your faith in God or, or more oh, just your faith in yourself. Much more in God. Cause God, God does more. He's do, he does for me what I could never do for myself. That was, that's the part of addiction is when we try to do it all ourselves, when we try to white knuckle it and, and use self-will to kind of keep going. And in some ways that helped me because it allowed me to make the college basketball team, it allowed me to be fairly successful in practice because I could just grind and go and just, just go off my own effort. But there's a point at which obviously I hit a wall and God can, but I can't. And if I can learn to truly live in surrender, just to do the next right thing and let leave the outcomes and, and what happens to God, then life just seems to work out better. Mm. It's how much long, more peaceful. How long have you been sober? Four and a half years. Mm. February of 2018 was, was, was my sobriety day. Wow. wow. Oh, what does your support look like as you continue in recovery? Recovery never stops. No, right? no, it's a, we're all works in progress. My counselor told me, he said, you're a, you're on earth and there is no cure and it takes a lifetime to learn how to live mm. and you're not going to find out if you did it good until you're dead. So mm. we're all works in progress. Wow. There's no goal to achieve. And so now my recovery system works. I, I go to meetings. I have a, a Friday men's group and it's a very, let's say confrontational men's group where they will, they will dive around my defenses and they'll, they'll see me putting on a show or, or, you know, cause I used to, it was all about bravado for me. I never had friends. I had tons of acquaintances and people that probably liked me, but I had no close friends. You had a dog. I had a dog and, then, <laughs> and we left him. <laughs> oh my God. What was his name? Jet. Poor oh, Jet. Jet. Yeah. We just God drove off you, only friend. <laughs> So, uh, so these Friday guys will kick your butt. Yes. And that was the thing too, is cause I had the rules of the game were, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. Or if you did know me, you would either hurt me or you would leave me. Mm. Okay. So I got the rules. I know how to do this. I need to keep you just close enough to where you don't leave me, but not close enough to where you know me. Mm. And wow. that was so exhausting and just having to be a chameleon. I had to change who I was based on who I was in front of. And then there's no sense of identity and that answer the question. Oh yeah. No, that's great. I mean, because, you know, we all need recovery from something, mm -hmm. right? To one degree or the other. And yours seems rather spectacular, you know, compared to, <laughs> to, the, to those of us who hide. Sure. Stuff. But, you know, to, to think of recovering alone, you know, I don't, I don't think there is any such thing as recovering alone. No. And I couldn't do it without those men in that group because mm. I don't need men that will, I don't need the bravado and the sports news and weather. I mean, that's great. It has its place, sure. but it's a very lonely place now for me when it's only about the, 
the score of the game. And but I really want to know, like, man, how are you doing? And when people ask me that in that group, they're not asking it because they want to fix me. They just want to know my struggle and they want to be with me in it. Because yeah. Emmanuel means God with us in the struggle of life. Mm. It doesn't mean God rescues us from the struggle. It means he's with us in it. And I just, that's, that's just a much more peaceful place to be. What does your relationship with God look like? I mean, you're describing some wonderful things, but sure. just kind of on a heart to heart level, what does that look like for you? I would say when I'm making a conscious focused effort in my morning time and I'm doing my reading and prayer and meditation, that kind of thing, it's great. But then I'll think about work or I'll think about what I've got to do today or what the minute I start making it about me, then that connection to God sort of dissipates. Mm. So it's it's a constant daily struggle. That's why they tell you to do it one day at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I can't control the past. I can't change the past. I can't control the future. So just try to go ahead and live today. Mm. So daily surrender. My prayer is, God, just help me work hard to do the next right thing and just leave the outcomes to you. Let me live in surrender. Mm. Surrender is the ultimate victory. It's the ultimate recovery, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Right? Sure. Putting down the cigarette, putting down the, the vodka and tonic, putting down the porn, putting down yeah, the, the rage. Blank. Yeah. 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 Rage can be very addictive and so can self-pity and so can mm -hmm. resentment and guilt, shame. I was full of all that stuff. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. Well, thank you for being really bold about sharing that. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, all right, so I have a couple more questions. Please. What's the funniest chiropractic joke you know? Oh, this is a good one. How many chiropractors does it take to screw in a light bulb? I have no idea. <laughs> Just one, but you got to do it three times a week for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's pretty good. You like that one? Yeah, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, don't don't come here for the comedy. But <laughs> um, well, what would you say to someone who finds themselves in a pretty unhealthy state of mind, and and maybe they're sitting on a couch somewhere in a dark den eating a bag of Cheetos and, you know, they, they just are in despair. Maybe they're really dwelling at a pretty low level of, of a depression and, mm -hmm. and, you know, anxiety and, and really become apathetic, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, I, I've, I've been sharing pretty openly on the podcast that I had a season like that. I wasn't obese and I didn't, I wasn't just eating a bunch of Cheetos all the time, kind of getting fat a little bit, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I had transitioned out of a ministry position that I loved and I, I really hit a really low time in my life where I always thought that the word apathy or apathetic meant that you didn't care. And I really found out it meant you can't care. You get so low, you get into kind of a helplessness, yep. you know, and it, it was really a pretty amazing mystical kind of experience that broke that for me. God was gracious and I was out walking around my neighborhood and I couldn't pray, wasn't reading the word, wasn't into church, wasn't, it's just broken and messed up. And I was, all I could do was walk around my neighborhood and, and uh, there was one scripture where Jesus said, I and my father are one. And I know that was Jesus and, you know, and all, and we got all this spooky yeah. spirituality around all that, but that was the only phrase I could think of. I couldn't, I couldn't pray the Lord's prayer. I couldn't, I wasn't going off into these long 
soliloquies with God, you know, thee and thouest and, you know, King James Version. Yeah, all that. I, I wasn't there. And I was just, uh, all I could say is I, I know somehow I and my father are one, but my father's greater, of course, which is the rest of that phrase. But one day I was walking through my neighborhood saying that to myself and I didn't hear an audible voice. It was a lot louder than that. Mm. But the voice said, you're not even being a good human right now. Wow. And it was like a, a rebuke. I call it the 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 B R F G, the big rebuke from God. <laughs> and it started it started me kind of down the path of wondering, you know, what are the innate human powers God's actually given me? Because mm. He's given them to all of us, right? Sure. To think, to choose. It really came down to the power of choice. And I think of the scripture in the Old Testament that you know. I set before you this day, blessing and cursing, mm. you get to choose, but here's a hint, you know, I, I, blessing, cursing, life or death. Here's a hint, choose life. <laughs> right. 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 And I was kind of in that place. I, I was, I thought God was through with me. I was just in a real awful place. And uh, that rebuke began to turn it around for me. Maybe your rebuke came from your wife telling you to, you know, enough is enough. You're sure. going to go get some help. But what would you say to someone who might f be listening, who stumbled into this podcast and they're, they're feeling helpless and hopeless right now? What would you say to them? Yeah, it's funny you use the word apathy because I can, <clears throat> I can do apathy with the best of them. And what I learned in the treatment program was that apathy is essentially an impaired form of loneliness. Hmm. So loneliness is a feeling that we have when we're not connected to ourselves, others, or God. So apathy is the way that we move away from that need for connection because the gift of loneliness is actually intimacy. So when I'm apathetic, then I will move, I will ask myself, what am I lonely for? And we're made for relationship. Human beings are, are spiritual, emotional, spiritual creatures that are designed to live fully in relationship with ourselves, with others, and with God. So I guess my advice would be, is if you find yourself apathetic or depressed or, or lonely, is ask, what am I lonely for? For me, I had to write out my entire story. So I had part of the treatment was we had to start it. I was born on May 2nd, 1977. And then you had to do your entire timeline of your, of your life. And then I had to pull out the 10 most painful events in that story. So that was allowing me to, to find intimacy with myself and with my story. And then I had to find intimacy with other men, other guys that I could share to tell what was happening with me and not men that would fix it, get big or leave or run away, but guys that could actually sit with me in that. And then in my loneliness, I had to reach out toward God. So story, other people, and then, and then mm. reaching toward God. Mm. Put the Cheetos down. Put the Cheetos down. Because we will eat our feelings for sure. Mm. There's Hershey bars when we feel hurt. Oh my gosh. There's Skittles for sadness. There's yeah. angel food cake for anger. There's there's gobs of ice cream for guilt. <clears throat> like got this. We, wow. we, we've got feelings. <laughs> and and that's what most people's go to is. They'll they'll eat a half a gallon of ice cream and not realize why they did it. Mm. So we what I tell patients is ask yourself, what are you feeling when you're reaching for the Cheetos or you're reaching for the ice cream? Mm. What's going on internally that you're, you're trying to run away from or medicate with that food? Mm. And that's a starting point. 
And get adjusted. And get adjusted. Get adjusted. I truly believe, this may sound like a plug for my own office. Bring it. That you cannot be healthy without regular chiropractic care. You can't be as healthy as you would as like you to be. be. Yeah. Because the nervous system is so vital. And it's not about stiff necks and sore backs. It's about allowing your body to heal and function and communicate with itself the way that God designed us. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the conduit. Now, do we have to eat a good diet? Yes. Do we have to exercise and meditate, pray, and be a good human being? Absolutely. Mm. But it's, it's, a, it's a part of the wellness picture. Mm. So good, Dr. Ben Sweeney, Sweeney Health Center's amazing friend, coach, teacher. I love coming here, watching you on the videos, talking about all this good stuff. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you, John. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with me today on All The Best. If you liked the show, be sure to share it out with your family and friends on your social media and drop me a line at john at johnchism.com. I would love to hear from you. I also want to invite you to jump over to my site right now to sign up for my free 31-day motivational email series. It's designed to help you go for all the best in life. If you're needing some real change, fresh motivation and inspiration, this could be just the thing to get you going. You can find it at johnchism.com and I'll see you next time.